Welcome to the Future Accords on KTUH University of Hawaii Radio for the cultural and educational enrichment of the students of Hawaii as well as the global community. On this show, we will interview thought leaders to hear about their past, present, and hopes for the future. Join us as we dive into topics around the five P's of sustainable development, people, planet, prosperity, peace, and partnerships. I'm your host, Ari Eisenstadt, and let's explore the future together. Aloha, and welcome to the Future Accords. Today, we are joined by a very special guest, Joshua Cooper, who is the U.S. Human Rights Network co-chair for the Universal Periodic Review Task Force. Joshua, thanks so much for being with us today. Aloha, pleasure to be here. So first, I want to ask you, what is the Human Rights uh, Universal Periodic Review? Right, so the exciting thing is in 2006, the UN Commission on Human Rights that existed for six decades was transformed and they created the brand new UN Human Rights Council. And what was different about that is people had to be elected. So governments actually had to run on a campaign to say this is why they should be on the Human Rights Council. And they actually had to get 97 votes. So it was a total switch. The other was it would decide to meet more often, three times a year, in June, September, and in February, March. But the other thing that was quite significant, they call it the crown jewel, was that every country in the world would have a human rights record reviewed every four and a half years. So this was known as the Universal Periodic Review. Amazing. So I'm excited to get into that. But first, let's dive into your past. We'll talk about the works you're uh, focused on in the present and then your vision for the future. Um, so first, where are you from? What's your what's your background that got you into this human rights work? Uh, exciting note, I, I grew up here in Hawaii, up in Waianae, and was able to uh, really cut my teeth on advocacy and activism here while at University of Hawaii, and then just continued on to go from the local level here to the national level, doing a lot of national events, and then of course looking at the the largest level of the global arena and see what's possible to be able to promote and protect human rights. Amazing, and you were also here at KTU8. I was, I was in these exact rooms, actually next door. I remember this one and this one as well when we were doing uh, new shows for different global summits that were happening in Hawaii at the time. Wow, well thank you for building those those bridges. Uh, and now we're celebrating our 50th anniversary this year. So it's really, really an honor to talk uh, talk to one of the legends here at KTUH. No, I think I did small things here, but it was great because I was majoring in journalism and political science. So it was a great way to uh, really see what journalism looks like on a daily basis. That's great. So coming from Hawaii, what was that introduction to human rights? Is there something on the local level that really inspired you? Absolutely. I think, one, historically, you can look at the issue of colonization and the situation of the overthrow of the Kingdom of Hawaii. And of course, it's that issue of justice. And I think the leadership, Queen Liliuokalani, as well as Kalakaua on a diplomatic front, really showed the world the vision and values and also really gave a voice for indigenous peoples around the world. So growing up in Waianae, that definitely did shape my perspectives. And then on an exciting note, it was great to be able to see what was going on in the world. You really see the Battle of Seattle. You see these giant events taking place around globalization. And it really framed what could be possible and how you could use direct action and diplomacy around the world. That's great. So what was your first introduction then from there to the international community in the UN system? Yeah. I guess I started around 20 years ago on an exciting note. I was just doing graduate research, but I always was more of a participatory research methodology where we wanted to try to test new theories. And so one of the ones that I worked on was working with Aboriginals and Torres Strait Islanders from Australia. 
and there was a land title. There was an important legal case that was just declared, and the government, of course, didn't want to recognize that law. And so we went to the UN Committee on the Elimination of Racial Discrimination, known as CERD, and they have a mechanism called the Early Warning Urgent Action. And this Early Warning Urgent Action had not been used that much. So we used that, and it was just a short document you had to write and then submit it and then do some meetings with the members to explain what was really going on. And you know, a year later, Australia was found guilty of racism under international law and it was headline news. So that was a great way to see what's possible. So it was exciting to go from wearing Aloha shirts here at Board of Regents meetings and down at the legislature and, and with governor and uh, other regional leaders and then to go to the global and realize it's, it's just another place. And what's always important is you're looking at the human rights of individuals, but also collective rights of communities and to be able to protect people. Wow. And now it seems like Australia is really leading the way in some cases on restorative justice for indigenous people and giving back traditional lands. Is that true? Something. I have to say probably Aotearoa, New Zealand's a little bit further ahead, just because the last series of governments of the Australians have been a little bit more on the conservative side and, and moving backward. On the New Zealand side and Aotearoa, they've actually started to recognize indigenous cosmology in their laws. So the Wanganui River, Wanganui River is recognized as a legal entity, as a being. So of course for indigenous peoples, a river is of course a living sentient being that deserves all the respect. But of course in the West, it's seen more as property or a way to move logs from one place to another or to extract resources out of. So I think if you looked at the Waitangi Tribunal, uh, the Wanganui case, and then there's a, a couple of national parks that also look at and respect the rights of the land as an entity. And they've actually moved to now, there's commissioners who are on that board that then think of the interest of the land and of the river as opposed to uh, just an economic interest. So it's great to see where corporations have always had rights and recognized as people. Now you can see that in Aotearoa, also Bolivia took the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples and applied that to their national constitution. So more and more you can see what we knew here in Hawaii really being applied and appreciated around the world. How inspiring. I want to ask about in, in 2010, uh, you participated in the first uh, human rights uh, periodic review uh, and it was a town hall format in Geneva. What was that like? Right, so on an exciting note, in 2010, a lot of things hadn't been done before. The, the UPR was just created two years prior. And so what we tried to do with the US at that point, I was just the Geneva coordinator. So my job was to assist all the civil society, over 200 come together in Geneva and make sure everyone was heard and to coordinate the campaign where we were able to then share the information with all the different governments. And so the one innovative practice I think that we could actually say we're in the lead in was in that 2010, the US government agreed to do their UPR with the other countries. But then right after the UPR, we had this national town hall in Geneva, where we had 36 members of the government, all the US federal agencies, and the State Department leading with Department of Justice, and then civil society, all the NGOs were able to ask questions. Uh, make recommendations and discuss there for 90 minutes. So it's like half the time of the regular UPR, but one where all the people in civil society knew what was wrong. All the people in the government knew all the issues. So it was probably the most heated debate and discussion between 
two segments of the same society trying to get to the truth and see what could be the next steps. And on an exciting note, people in D.C. were also uh, brought in as well via technology. So you had this meeting in Geneva, and this was unheard of because the only, only other coordination between a civil society and a country was a press conference afterwards. And that was it. So a 90-minute review with civil society participating is amazing. And on that front, uh, people from Hawaii got the second question and asked the questions about self-determination and human rights in Hawaii. So it also showed anybody from anywhere could come and have an impact. And even that was exciting to see people from the islands going there and participating. So that was very good. Amazing. And then in 2014 was the next one. What was that like going right. going and building off of that right. energy? So we learned from the first one, and I think we were quite successful because we had the most recommendations ever in the first cycle. We had 228. And in the second one, we had over 320 recommendations. And what's really important about that is we, the people, actually drafted those. So the exciting thing is if you have an issue and you think that's a violation of the UN Charter or the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, you can easily come up with what questions you think we really need to ask this government and what recommendations, what really should be done specifically. And so we came up with those in the first, but even more importantly, really organized in the second cycle. And what was innovative in the second cycle is we did consultations in Washington, D.C. with all of the embassies that are based in D.C., but also with all the U.N. missions in New York. So we did a series over four months of uh, one day in New York with all the U.N. mission, and then let's say that would be on a Wednesday and then Friday at the U.S., all with all the embassies in Washington, D.C. And this allowed us to really partner with governments around the world, but for everyone in the United States to make sure that they could raise their voice and be able to make sure their issues were, would be really brought forward in that second UPR cycle. How exciting. And that really brings us into the present. Uh, and you've been very involved with the United Nations Association, both nationally, but also locally in Hawaii. And you participated in the UN Commission on the Status of Women uh, in New York at the UN. What was that like recently? Right. So just last month, uh, the UNA USA Hawaii chapter, we put, I was asked by the president Joanne Tachibana to put in a, 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 a really a, a petition and an application to see if we could be the one chapter in the U.S. to host a side event at the U.N. Commission on Status of Women 63rd session. And so, excitingly enough, Hawaii did get it. Our focus was actually working with our neighbors in the south as well as all around Oceania. So this year, the voluntary national review will take place looking at sustainable development goals and there'll be five countries from the Pacific, but there'll also be three more countries where we have a Pacific angle. So the Maori of Aotearoa will be reviewed, uh, Kanaki and Tahiti will be reviewed under the French, and then finally Rapa Nui will be reviewed under Chile. So really eight Pacific Island peoples will be reviewed this July. So we said we wanted to host that. And then we also, our focus was leave no one behind. And so, we were able to then bring in Tibetans, Lao people, and indigenous peoples to come and share. But the other angle we brought in was Honolulu and Hawaii as a voluntary local review. And that was to also, if we have a current administration that's really failing at the federal level, then it's really important to look at what can we do at the local level. So New York City instituted this brand new voluntary local review. So we're aiming for Hawaii to do a voluntary local review. And so we were able to then share the initial findings of what we've begun and some of the initial consultations that have taken place in academia as well as in the community. 
That's great. Well, what in your mind are some of the biggest human rights issues right now? And ha- has that changed over the years? Yeah, I think for this third cycle, what we're really focusing on is really at the community level to get the voice of the people who are directly impacted to speak for themselves about what they want to change and how they want to change it. And so one thing we're doing that hasn't been done before ever is kind of combining that city's campaign. So we're doing UPR cities. And this is based on one we did in Birmingham, Alabama around the Selma commemoration. And so we're partnering with mayors. And what it is is it's looking at human rights at the community and city level and working with mayors and city council members but as I said, directly impacted and affected communities to be able to say, these are this is what we care about and to actually talk about it at that level, not up at the US where you know everything's getting cloudy with a whole bunch of chaos and confusion, which is the current strategy of this current administration, but really what do we care about and how can we go about that? So we're launching our first one April 26 in Atlanta, Georgia. We'll be partnering there with the US Human Rights Network with American Friends Service Committee. And then we're also looking at coming back to Atlanta and doing one with the Carter Center as well as the, the National Human Rights Center based there. So the idea there is working also with the Martin Luther King Center for Social Change and Civil Rights. So our idea is to do 12 of them because we are one year away right now from the third review of the United States. That'll take place in April, May, 2020. So it's a great time to really mobilize the campaign to see how we can energize everyday people because we want to focus what we definitely know is wrong, but also what people want. So we want people to be able to say, these are the rights that we care about. And more importantly, this is my recommendation on how we can achieve that in our community at the country level, and hopefully also be an inspiration to the rest of the world. Incredible. You also hosted the uh, Human Rights Day at the Hawaii State Capitol, which I had the honor of participating in. What are your thoughts on human rights in Hawaii and how are local leaders really taking the charge with that? Yeah, on an exciting note, I think what we were able to accomplish was, that we, you know, we've, we've had Human Rights Day now, and it's always around commemoration of Nuclear Free and Independent Pacific, March 1st, and International Women's Day. And the main focus we had was really looking at the voluntary local review. And it was learning from New York, because New York called theirs Global Vision Urban Action, a city with global goals. And what we're trying to do is work with Hawaii Green Growth and to work with all of their partners to say, look, we actually do care about sustainable development goals. And we also partnered last year with the Hawaii State Senate and with Senator Kalani English. And we were also able to get resolution number 11 adopted, working with Senator Carl Rhodes. And that was looking at planting the seeds for voluntary local reviews. So one of the things I think is really good is the 2030 agenda is actually a great way forward for Hawaii. And the idea of leaving no one behind and furthest behind first is a great way to move forward. So I think, you know, if we're looking at ending poverty, zero hunger, good health and well-being, quality education, gender justice, clean water and sanitation, renewable energy, those are all economic, social and cultural rights that we care about a lot in Hawaii but we haven't really organized campaigns around enough. So I think that really allows us to, to really break out the silos that exist even here at the university and in, in the community to say, we need to work together in a whole lot of new innovative ways. We need to really make sure that business and entrepreneurs are engaged to say what's possible, that 
communities that are organizing to protect their natural resources are respected and that there's also remedies when harms do take place. And I think this voluntary local review was really the basis of this year's Human Rights Day. And it was exciting to bring all the participants here in Hawaii to see what we want to do and how we want to move forward. And so far, what we had done was we had uh, students at University of Hawaii West Oahu look at all 17 goals, building beyond those first seven and then adding in the other ones of looking at good work and economic growth, decent work and economic growth, looking at fair economy, looking at climate change, because that's really an important issue here in Hawaii that we have to understand. And we can't just do adaptation by ourselves and mitigation because we're not producing all that much, but we can do a whole lot more. And so life below water, life above land. And then number 16 is probably the big year this year. That's looking at peace, justice, human rights, and and democratic institutions. So that will be the big review at the high level political forum in July this year. So we wanted to also say we need to have a strong democracy and what does that look like? And then partnerships. And the idea of partnerships is, it's let's think about the University of Hawaii as one example. What can we do? What can we do here in the community? Like let's not just go for grades, but let's go for the common good. Let's help with the problems that are in the community. Let's be solutionaries. And the other idea was, Let's partner around the world. So, you know, I did get back from Fiji and Tonga, and we're working with them on their voluntary national reviews and helping them come up with the best practices on how they can move forward to be able to get the people heard by the government and make sure the government really does listen to the citizens so that they can really have a strong review and use that as a way to move forward to promote human rights in Oceania. And going back to Hawaii Green Growth, which is a public-private partnership that has taken in the state, taken in the University of Hawaii, and has helped establish Hawaii as the one of the first ever local 2030 hubs for the UN around the Sustainable Development Goals, uh, using the Aloha Plus Challenge. Uh, how do you see that manifesting in the state and really being a, a test bed and a showcase for sustainable development solutions? Right. I think what's exciting about the years 2014-2015 was the world was abuzz with what can we do. And so the Aloha Plus Challenge is being worked out here. At the same time, the negotiations that we were involved with, I was there with the Indigenous Peoples Major Group from 2012 at the Rio Earth Summit, Rio Plus 20, all the way through the adoption of the 2030 Agenda in 2015. So the exciting part is Hawaii, of course, has its own values, going back to Liliokalani and Kalakaua that I talked about earlier, and it was looking at what those visions are. And really, the Ahupua is a great example of one of the ways to achieve the 2030 agenda. So it's making sure we don't forget everything that existed prior because what people are finally understanding is indigenous knowledge and that ancestral wisdom actually had a lot of the answers and all the current practices in pursuit of profit, unfortunately missed a lot along the way. So people's movements were able to really organize. And so the Loa Plus Challenge is a great measuring tool that we can then coordinate from, also monitoring, but then also maintaining momentum. And then when the adoption on September 2015 happened, that was exciting. Because then that said, this is where we're gonna move forward. And then that was, what should, how do we do that? And they tried to model it on the Universal Periodic Review. They actually did the voluntary national reviews at the high level political forum, but those are just inadequate. They're too short. It's barely a half an hour of a review and you can't go over the 2030 agenda in that little amount of time. So 
what I think we're looking at, what will be exciting this year, is the high-level political forum will have two sessions, one in July, but also at the General Assembly, next to the Climate Change Summit, hosted by Secretary General Guterres. And what that'll do is how do we move forward and how do we improve? And for the first UPR cycle to the second, we changed that because it had to be much more inclusive and get more states participating and making sure everyone's engaged. So we changed that. And I think we'll be doing the similar things with the voluntary national reviews coming up with the high level political forum in September. How exciting. I, I wanna ask you uh, to just to, to talk for a moment about uh, about that idea of the Ahupua uh, being a model for sustainable development. For those that don't know, can you share what that is and what that would look like in, in modern in modern times? The exciting thing is they haven't gone anywhere. They're still there. It's from reef to ridge, and it's sort of looking in at a pie shape. And it was what everyone should know is that everything's interconnected. And so if you impact the reef, it's going to have an impact higher upstream. And we just really need to have a holistic understanding of who we are. And unfortunately, uh, the world we live in today sees nature as a commodity, and we have to understand that nature is really community, and we're part of that community, and we're not separate and above it, but that we're an integral part of that. We have to start thinking how we, our role, and that's the excellent part about indigenous values is it's really those traditional rituals actually focus on protecting the earth and the aina and the water and seeing how everything is connected. And so the Ahupua is just one indigenous model but there's many examples as well around the world. And I think what's important for the 2030 agenda is we have to see what we can do here. And I think that's what's really exciting with the voluntary local review. We had New York last year and then three cities in Japan. And what we're looking at in the second year of voluntary local reviews is we'll have Honolulu, Helsinki, and then we'll also look at bringing in Pittsburgh. And so that's exciting because Pittsburgh and Hawaii both agreed after the U.S. withdrew from the Paris Agreement that we are still in. So we've been organizing at the university, we've been organizing Hawaii Green Growth to bring everyone together on the Paris Agreement. And now the Paris Agreements are getting exciting with nationally determined contributions. So what we're looking at is there will always be a review going on and always pressure saying, what are we going to make happen to improve the lives of people and take care of our earth? And it all is kind of coming together in that the most recent intergovernmental panel on climate change, we basically says we have 11 years. And the 2030 agenda is basically 11 years. So it's time for us to understand that it's around final exam time that's coming up at the University of Hawaii. It's about time to realize it is time to realize this is it. And if we don't take action, we will get to the irreparable harm and the, the environment that allowed us to live and thrive and survive will be entirely koyanaskatsi, as they say, out of balance. And it won't, we won't be able to bring it back once we hit that tipping point. So it is time to listen to the voice of indigenous peoples. And it's time to make sure that from the community level to the country level to the global civil society, that we focus on sustainable development, that we focus on human rights, and that we definitely focus on climate justice. Absolutely. Another thing I love that you do is not just focus on, on one island, but you really connect all the islands together uh, with your monthly human rights dialogues. Uh, can you tell us about that and what it's like to network in leaders of all these different islands together to talk about human rights? Yeah, the interesting thing about Hawaii is we almost have different development models on each island. So the exciting thing is I think we have a lot to learn from Molokai. We have a lot to learn also from Waianae Nanakuli, where I grew up. So these monthly dialogues was just an idea to have a human rights sustainability campus community dialogue 
but make sure we talk about what's happening at the international level and how important it is to us in the island. And then also that we also are prepared to participate in all those global forums. So what we try to do each month is say uh, what's coming up and how can we participate, but also something we really started since the Hawaii We're Still In campaign around the Paris Agreement is what happens at those meetings? How is it relevant to us? And how can we follow up and participate all the time? So what we try to do, and we'll have one this Wednesday, is to bring in Windward, to bring in West Oahu, to bring in Hilo, and to bring in Kauai and Kapi'olani Community College to say, what do you care about and what's happening and what's coming up? So we'll definitely be concentrating in this case on the Universal Periodic Review because if you look at it, we have a one-year campaign. We've got April to April. Right now, it's the time to do education and make people aware of what it is about, to do maybe video contests. On an exciting note, when I was at Harvard, one person said, let's do an entire campaign around public access channels and coordinate video contests with public access channels across the country where people can make a short two-minute video of this is the human rights they care about. Because not everyone's going to be so excited about that October 3rd deadline of a five-page document. We're sort of policy people and academics love it as well. We're sort of wonkish. But the rest of the world, probably a video would be the best way to express yourself. So October 3rd is our first deadline where we civil society can turn in all the reports. So what's exciting is this current government is withdrawing from world affairs, but we don't have to wait for the government to write a report. We do the first reporting. So October 3rd, we'll be turning in the five-page documents or the 10-page documents based on coalitions. Uh, Last cycle, we had 36 working groups. I'm pretty sure we'll top 50 working groups because we have a lot more work to do. But then the exciting part is the interaction phase. From October 3rd all the way through that April 20 deadline, what we're gonna do is definitely be able to start meeting with other governments, sharing with them what we care about. And we'll do that by making short one to two pages of what's the issue I care about, what's the question that we really have to put to the US government now. And most importantly, what's the recommendation to realize human rights, what we really, really want. And the exciting thing is that then puts us at in January, we'll start that campaign again, also building on the UPR Cities report, we'll be having already eight of those under our belt. But we'll do from January until April, we'll meet with the UN missions again in New York, where everyday civil society people will be able to speak directly and say, these are the issues we care about, but also with all the embassies based in DC. And we'll do that January through April. And then the exciting thing is the actual review of the United States will be in April, May of 2020. So it's just a one-year campaign. So if you want to get involved and see a result, it's rare that you could say you can see what'll happen. But anything said in the three and a half hour review is in the final document. And then the exciting part is we have sort of six months. We have from April, May to September, and that's when the final report is adopted. The exciting thing is 10 civil society gets to speak and give two minute interventions to see how the US has or has not done what they promised to do. Or also one more time, remind the world this is what's the most important real priority for the people of the US. That's great. So what is your vision for the future, for the Universal Periodic Review, for the VLR? What do you hope to see come out of this? Right, so an exciting front, I think if you look at what's going on, for the UPR, one thing we have to do is really focus on follow-up. Uh, what's exciting is that every country's reviewed. So just since 2008, we now actually have two different cycles of a review by civil society, all the documents written by the people, documents, 10-page document written by the High Commissioner for Human Rights on every country in the world, and then 20 pages written by the government, how they feel they're doing. 
So if anyone was interested in like, I want to know what's going on in any country in the world, that's now available. And it's not written just by the U.S. State Department, which used to just write all the reports, or by Amnesty International, but it's really people's reports, independent High Commission for Human Rights reports, and governments saying what they believe. So that didn't exist before. But what we have to do is definitely make sure that where it's just not a recommendation factory. And what we have to make sure these recommendations become a reality. So really, there has to be national, in a way, interagency task force, or what they call national human rights institutions. And the US is one of the only countries that doesn't have one. But we needed a US human rights commission that takes those recommendations and works with parliament, in this case, our Congress, and starts implementing them. So I think that's something we could definitely do. And that would be a priority and other countries are doing a really good job with national human rights institution. Australia has a good one, getting back to our earlier conversation about what's Australia doing well. And I think the other side is New Zealand. Aotearoa is doing a good job. They're doing their universal periodic review the same time as their voluntary national review. And they're including everyone, treasury and everything at the same time. So I think it's how we have to see it. It's not different things of this is human rights and this is sustainable development. They're all connected. And so I think that's important. What I see going on with the Institute for Global Environment is they've actually come up with an exciting thing where they're doing a, a hub and they have the first VN, VLR online platform. And so if you look at the Institute for Global Environmental Strategies, they're really trying for the first time ever to try to bring everyone together to make the perfect VLR. And I think the good news is there is no, nothing's written about a VLR really in the 2030 agenda. So it's civil society coming together and partnering with local cities and um, counties to say, how can we do these reviews here where it really matters? Because human rights, as Eleanor Roosevelt, really begin at home. So I think in the future, uh, at least human rights is a great framework to have this discussion. It's a great way to, we can still name and shame governments that aren't doing what they should do, but it's also a chance for we the people to frame and claim the rights that we care about the most and to uh, transform our governments to make sure that they do work. And if they don't, that we use these ideas of institutions to then hold them accountable from the global level. Fantastic. If people are interested in getting involved in these processes, what, what would you recommend would be the first thing to do? And, and how can they keep an eye on looking sure. at the sustainable development goals and reaching these 20, 2030 agenda yeah. points? And that one, I think the Aloha Plus Challenge is great. I also think the high level political forum July 16th through 18th this year is great to watch. Everything is webcast now in the world. So the exciting thing is you can still be in Hawaii. You don't have to go anywhere. You can do and coordinate everything you want to hear from the beautiful home that we all share and then still have an impact at the global level. So I love it that we can work here on the ground and then also still impact the international and at the global level. And I see that's really how we can do that. I think if you look at what's possible I think also it's exciting to see what Japan is doing with human rights cities, what Korea is doing, what Indonesia is doing. I think all of those really show that's a great way for us to organize in the Pacific. And just last week, the Pacific, for the first time ever, got 10 countries together in Fiji to say, what does human rights look like in Oceania? And in a way, we're the last region without a regional commission or a court. And so I think that's something we can really look at as a Pacific Oceanic Charter on human rights that will really take into the most important issues such as climate change, because that impacts the right of self-determination. And you could see people who have been able to struggle and gain their independence 
then lose that under invisible ways of colonizations and, and carbon. So uh, do you have any other resources or recommendations for getting involved with Human Rights Network, with the uh, United Nations Association for really participating yeah. in this periodic review? Easy thing is you can just go to their websites. You can also email me, joshuacooperhawaii at gmail.com, and I'll do my best to really find out what you care about and how you can participate because there's all kinds of things we can do. We can make that wonderful really video contest, the Testify project, where if you want to organize that, we could come up with the best videos that then leads to a film festival. So I think that's something you could do, that we don't just have to do the five-page documents. I like the idea of the public access channels. I think those are great. I think we can even do podcasts. And then the exciting thing, of course, is all the campaigns you can do on social media. For the second round of the UPR, we had UNA Georgetown organizing, putting pressure on the ambassador of the US to Geneva and at the Human Rights Council by sending out tweets to recognize LGBTQIA rights. So I think we can use Twitter, we can use all this new social media to make sure that we maintain momentum. Because when the review happens, everybody's excited. They love to see the US get grilled and the government getting grilled by the world and seeing what we care about being really at the forefront and to see human rights headlines happen. But the truth is, that's just the beginning. What we have to do is make sure that all these ideas really in a way transform into initiatives that then in a way shape institutions or create new institutions that change the dynamics that we live in today. Wow, well, that's really excellent. Joshua Cooper, thank you so much. Uh, it's such an honor to have you here. Uh, I really appreciate your amazing work. Thanks again. Aloha, it's a pleasure to be here. Aloha. Aloha.